So I am here today with Pastor L. Mike Woodbury, um, the pastor um, at Unity Baptist Church. And the interesting thing is Pastor Woodbury is the brother of my late pastor who was like my father, literally, um, who, um, if it's not for him and and his ability to see something in me, I don't know that I'm even having this conversation on this podcast today. Uh, let me tell you something. One thing I know for sure is that it really does matter who speaks into your life. It really does matter who says, I believe in you. I see your potential. Um, um, And when he said that to me, it elevated my self-esteem to where I was able to um, accept my gifts, my call, Mm -hmm. And to move forward. And so when he passed, his brother um, became my mentor, not not because, you know, it was something that, that he thought about, but it was something that I thought about that I intentionally cultivated because I knew I needed someone to walk with me. Um, through my journey, but particularly through my journey of grief at that moment. I didn't know what to do with my grief because I was so, so broken. Um, um, And I was at a at a difficult place in my life. I, my marriage was yeah. failing, man. I and 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 so when so when Pastor Woodbury got sick and died, I I, I wasn't able to have these conversations with him and and get direction from him and and so man when it so when he passed, I just went into a even darker place. I I, I used to call Pastor L. Mike Woodbury um, at at midnight. And, and we would be on the phone till two, three o'clock in the morning. He would just talk to me. He would just talk to me and he shared with me his experiences with grief. He, he lost his wife. He lost his daughter. He's lost siblings. And he shared with me the pain of those moments and how he understood that God was allowing great sorrow in his life so that he would help other people through their sorrow. And y'all, let me tell you something. That is um, uh, probably one of the most important roles you can have in a person's life. Yeah, yeah. So... um, it's, but but here's the deal. He said this to me, and I and I, I think about this all the time. In order for him to do what he's doing, 
he had to experience great loss, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Pastor Woodbury, let 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 let's and we're gonna talk about a couple different yeah. things today, but let's start right there because so mm-hmm. many people right now are battling with loss after COVID. So many people are grieving mm-hmm. the loss of loved ones, the loss of jobs, the loss of a home, the the breakup of families and and things of that nature. Um, um what would you say? to them in the beginning process of of walking through grief the first thing let me let me thank you first of all let me thank you uh, as always <clears throat> uh, Reverend Steve because you've given me the opportunity and I delight in being able to talk about my grief because you don't always get the opportunity to talk about it because people don't always want to hear about your losses and stuff because it frightens them. Mm. It makes them think that if it happened to you, happened it to could me. happen to me. So they don't, they'd don't. they rather you just shut up and not talk about it. But I tell people all the time, <clears throat> one of the things that I have come to understand is that you cannot get through this life without some grief and some pain. I don't know of anybody that have gone through this life, it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter how well uh, you have how well you have tried, uh, you cannot get through this life without grief. <clears throat> and so the interesting thing to me is that most of the time we wait until grief occurs and then we try to figure out how to cope with it. <sighs> when Jesus' example was to prepare them for grief before grief came. He prepared them. In the 14th chapter of John, he hadn't died yet. Now, in the 13th chapter, he had told them, I'm getting ready to die. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, He had told them, I'm getting ready to die. And he knew that his death was going to have a profound effect on them. But he did not He did not wait until after he died uh, to have this conversation with them. He called them together, 14th chapter of John. He called them together and he says this to them. He says, I'm I'm, I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to die. He says, but do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So what, what is Jesus saying? He's preparing them. He's giving them some skills that will help them when grief when grief comes. And he tells them, don't let yourself be troubled. Now that word trouble, you have to go back and look it up. And that word trouble means to be uh, overly affected by your loss. Sure, it's going to hurt. You know, grief is supposed to hurt. But he says, do not allow your hurt to be so profound that you can't function and do what I told you to do. So hold up, hold, hold, hold. let me let me go right okay. there. You okay. you said something. Okay. You said do not allow your grief to be so much. How yeah. does one n- not allow it to be? Yeah. So most of the time, our action or reaction in grief is not what is thrust upon us. It is what we understand that we're supposed I've seen people let me just share this with you I have seen people 
that in their grief have acted a certain way because they feel like that that's the way they're supposed to act because they're in grief. Well, no, no. Nobody can nobody can give you, uh, you know that uh, that that perception. You have to arrive there yourself. For instance, I, I tell people all the time, there have been times when I had some profound grief experiences, and at the time, I did not cry. Does that mean I wasn't grieving? No, it didn't at all mean that I wasn't grieving. It just means that at that particular time, I was dealing with it <clears throat> in a way uh, that I had not conditioned myself to think that I was supposed to uh-huh. be, you know, I was uh-huh. supposed to be doing at the particular time. So I may not cry. You know, I may not cry. I cried at, at my wife's funeral, <clears throat> but I didn't cry like some people thought I should. Uh-huh. You understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But it's not about that. It's not about that. It, it's one of the reasons is that I had prepared during the 18 months that she was suffering. Ah. And so when death came, it did not affect me the way even I thought it would because she told me, she told me when she was getting ready to go, she said, Mike, I'm getting ready to die and I know I'm getting ready to die, but it's gonna be all right. And I said, how can you say that? She said, listen, let me tell you something. I know I'm getting ready to die, but I know where I'm going. So I'm not worried about it. Ah. She said, what I need you to do is I need you to uh, continue to function with integrity. Ah. And as long as you function with integrity, you're going to be all right. She said, you'll be able to take these girls and go on and finish raising them and do what you need to do because your integrity will hold you. You understand what I'm saying? And so I I wasn't as affected as some people thought I should have been because I had just lost my wife for 22 years. But what they didn't know is that we had some time, the Lord had navigated the circumstances, that we had some time to prepare before the event occurred. So do you believe that part of that preparation process was God giving you grace yeah. for that moment? So that so you, so, so, so he divinely designed 18 months right. of walking with your wife through right. that period right. to prepare you for the day she wasn't hurt. Right. Oh. Yeah. And so Good it, God almighty. The day the day that she died was a Sunday morning. Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. I got up and I usually get up early on Sunday morning and it just so happened that this particular Sunday morning I got up I was I spent the night at the hospital. <clears throat> I got up and uh, <clears throat> I told the people at the nurses station that I got to go down, go downstairs, and go outside and just walk around to kind of get my mind together, you know. And I, I get outside, I'm walking around in the parking lot, and I'm thinking, and you know, trying to, you know, just get my equilibrium together, you know. Uh, and then they called me on my cell phone and said, "You need to get back upstairs quickly." Uh-huh. I get back upstairs and they told me, the nurse and a and, and nurse in charge, they told me, they said, uh, Mr. Woodbury, we're sorry to tell you, but she's gone. She's just taking her last breath. <clears throat> they said, now we need you to stand here 
and wait while we uh, send down to the emergency room and get a doctor because the doctor has to pronounce it. And so <clears throat> when the doctor came and pronounced her, uh, of course I was affected. Of course I was profoundly affected. But uh, <clears throat> my, my whole point is that I was prepared not completely so that it, I wasn't affected at all. Right, right. Because that's not, but I was prepared so that I would be able to function. Uh-huh. I would still be able to function because my job, see, and I tell people all the time, grief does not mean that you stop functioning. One of the things that I tell my, that I told my kids, I told them, I said, listen, your mother is gone. She's not coming back. Your mother's gone. I know it's horrible. You're only 13 years old, and and now you don't have a mother. You know, I said, but but you cannot quit living mm-hmm. until the Lord call your number. Mm-hmm. You got to still get up. You got to still go to church. Mm-hmm. You got to still go to school because you are not supposed to stop living mm-hmm. because you're grieving. <sighs> Grief doesn't mean that you stop living. Grief simply means that your living has been affected <laughs> by your laws. You understand? Yeah. Your, your living has been affected. Now, now we had to make some changes because my wife, when she was alive and she was healthy, uh, she washed the clothes. She folded the clothes. Well, now that she's gone, we got to make some adjustments in the house. You know, somebody else has got to wash the clothes. Somebody else has got to fold the clothes. But that doesn't mean we stop living. It just means that our living has taken on a different pattern. You understand? What so, I mean? do you think maybe that grief is God's way of moving us to? the next levels of our life? Is that a tool that he may use to um, make us think deeper, um, draw us nearer to him, uh, make us more, I mean, because what I'm I'm hearing you say is grief is a a tool that moves you from from one stage of life to the next and depending on your preparation and perspective determines how it is. That's right. And, and, and what you have to, and what you suggested in there and what I know from experience and what I have learned is that grief is never to harm you or ah. to destroy you. It is never meant for that. God would not send anything to destroy us and harm us. So I have to perceive That's that right. he must have something else in mind. Ah. Are you with me? I'm with you. So he tells me, he tells me, he tells them, he said, listen, don't let yourself be troubled, troubled to the point that you can't function. <laughs> you know, now come on. You believe in God, believe also in me. Listen, you got to keep moving. You got to keep moving. You, you, you're disciples, you're apostles. I got work for you to do. I'm going to leave this in your hand. I'm getting ready to go. But you've got to continue uh, to do something. So, so I know somebody's listening to this and they're going, but wait a minute. Yeah. 
What about those of us when we get the call because our son, our, our teenage son, we sent them to 7-Eleven that's just up the street and he gets killed in a car wreck at the intersection up the street from the house. Yeah. We, How do you prepare for that, Pastor? Yeah. Are you telling me that? Yeah. What I'm saying is that, let me, let, let me share with you a story. You know, as you know, every year I go to these grief seminars. Yeah. Yep. And so one year I went to a grief seminar and a, a white lady that was a therapist came to me and said, can we have lunch together? Because you said something uh, that I want to talk to you about. So I said, okay. And so when we had our lunch break, she and I went to lunch together. She told me she was from Tulsa, that she was a therapist and her job, she worked for a funeral home. Her job was to meet with families that had experienced the loss and talk to them as they were planning the funeral. And so I said, okay, I said, that's a great, that's a great tool, you know. <clears throat> and so she said, but I want to tell you my story. She said, we had, she said, my husband was a preacher in Tulsa, uh, Southern Baptist. And she said, uh, we have two sons. And she said, we were, we were at our house on a Saturday afternoon and we were playing guitars, uh, laughing and talking as a family and just enjoying life, you know. And she said, uh, McDonald's was about six blocks from my house. And one of my sons, my youngest son, uh, put his guitar up and said, I'm gonna run down uh, to McDonald's and get me something to eat. <clears throat> and I'll be back. And she said, okay. Her son was perfectly fine, didn't have any health uh, issues, anything like that. Went to McDonald's, and she said he was gone for quite a while, and she started to get worried. And just about the time she started to get worried, she heard some sirens. Mm. And she said it, it freaked her out, so she told her husband, uh, baby, listen, I'll be back. I'm going, I'm getting ready to drive down to uh, to uh, McDonald's and just see, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She drove to, as she was approaching McDonald's, she realized she saw the emergency vehicles and everything. She pulled up there and she noticed her son's car. And what had happened is she said as her son was getting ready to pull into McDonald's, a, a drunk driver was coming the other direction and hit him and it killed him instantly. She said that her husband was so affected that he told her that day, he said, she said he told her that day, I'm never preaching again. I'm, I'm gonna quit preaching and I'm gonna get out of the ministry. And she said as a result, she and her husband ended up getting a divorce mm -hmm. because 97% uh, of the time, when a couple lose a child, uh, the marriage mm -hmm. can't survive that. Mm -hmm. And so they end up breaking up and stuff, mm -hmm. you know. So <clears throat> uh, they ended up they ended up breaking up. She was devastated as well as, you know, her husband was devastated and all that. But she told me that she realized that even though they were not cognizant, they were not aware of the preparation 
that the Lord was getting them ready for that time. You understand what I'm saying? They wasn't sitting around just literally playing. Right, right, right. But he was moving them in the direction where they would be able to cope with that and keep living life. You know, even though it happened suddenly. So, so Pastor, you 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 know you got to <laughs> you got to explain that to me yeah. because because I, I was actually getting ready to go to that part of the preparation how say for instance with, with people that commit suicide a parent yeah. you know a child commits suicide how does one a parent prepare themselves for that I do you yeah but but I'm a, from what you're saying yeah. you do and our so, God does yeah and so what happened is that literally in this life I believe I believe that that's what uh, spiritual growth is all about that the Lord is preparing us for something for our growth to take place if the Lord allows me to grow from this point to this point why why does he do that does he do it just so I can flex my spiritual muscles no he doesn't he's doing it for our good right he's doing it for our good and uh, and to use the term that you used earlier He's giving us the grace that is necessary at that time, even though we may not understand that we even need grace. Mm. Paul said, Paul said, Lord, will you remove this thorn from my flesh? And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to remove the thorn from your flesh. But what I will do is I will make sure that my grace is sufficient for you, for whatever it is that you're dealing with. I will make sure that my grace is sufficient for you at that particular time. He said, I'm not going to move the pain. I'm not going to stop the pain. <laughs> but I will make sure that you have sufficient grace to deal with the pain. And so when, I, uh, when things happen, listen, <clears throat> none of us know. None of us know. And I, I had the unfortunate privilege <clears throat> of uh, preaching a lady's funeral that was a member here at Unity. Uh, she was actually a nurse educator uh, at UCO. She taught nursing, had a PhD in nursing. You know. She died, and I had to do her funeral. And at her funeral, it's what the Lord gave me, at her funeral, I talked about destination before departure based upon what Paul said. Paul says that you got to have your destination in place before your departure time comes. And the fact of the matter is, is that none of us know when our departure, departure. time is going to come. So you got to always have your destination in place. I have flown a lot of times and I've never shown up at the airport and didn't know my destination. destination. You, you got to already have your destination, your itinerary in place before your before your before your departure time comes, and 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 many times we could even have a set departure time, and they'll say, "Up, oh, yeah, we the, the time has changed. We That's moved right. it back. Or, right. Up, we, we're low early. That's right. That's right. That's right. Are you? We have delayed your flight. Flight, and, and it's, you, know, oh. you don't know for sure when it is, but what you do know is your destination. Your destination. I, you know, you. Uh, you can change your departure time. 
You, you and I, let's, and let's go deeper there because okay. you and I have had this conversation yeah. a few times. I think yeah. you know where I'm getting ready to go, yeah. where you and I have talked about how, um, you know, how people say uh, it was just his time to go. Yeah. And you and I have had that discussion about how that is not true. Let's talk about that a little bit because yeah. I know a lot of people who don't understand that. Listen, I have a, I have a book at home that I got in my last grief presentation that actually deals with suicide. Mm -hmm. It is called uh, "Suicide and the and the uh, and the Clinical Patient," or uh, "Suicide and Self Harm." Uh -huh. That's what it's called. Uh -huh. It's a book about that. Uh -huh. So first of all, it gives you a definition for what suicide is, mm -hmm. and many of us don't understand that. I just had a conversation with my church not not long ago because. Based upon the definition that is in that book, and that's also in the the DSM five, which is the mental health. Uh -huh, uh -huh, health. Uh -huh. So, the definition of suicide is any time a person uh, engage in behavior that will cause their death. Any time a person engage in behavior that will cause their death. Now, some people's, some people's perception of suicide is, well, no, you got to go out here and you got to get a gun and you got to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. What if, what if you're engaging in behavior that causes your death, but it takes five years? Whoa. Is that still suicide? Well, according to the definition, Ish. technically, that you engaged in behavior that caused Ooh. your own death. Okay. So it's it's not it's like my my frame of reference is messed up because of the way I'm viewing that term. Now back to what you said. <clears throat> this is what I honestly believe, and I believe this biblically, and I believe this according to what God says, that each of us are given a choice. Each of us are given a choice from the time that we get here to the time that we go. <clears throat> now what happens? is that I can make a choice to shorten my life. Uh, the, you know, any choice that we make, God is not going to step in and interrupt and say, no, you can't make that choice. Uh, He's going to let us make the free choice. Free will. Uh -huh. Free will. He said, listen, I'm going to make, I'm going to give you free will, but I'm going to give you a choice. So if you made a choice and that choice was uh, early, early termination of your life, of your life, the Lord is not going to stop you from doing that. It's unfortunate. A lot of people will be affected, but he's not going to take that from you. Okay, he will uh -huh. allow you to go ahead and make that choice. So, so was it their time? No, I don't necessarily believe that. Uh huh. It was the time that they chose. Ah. Uh -huh. It wasn't the time that he said, <laughs> uh -huh. because now we know biblically what he promised us in his word is three score and 10. Uh -huh. So that was his choice. Uh -huh. You know, he said, I, I'm going to give you three score and 10. Okay. So if I decide to go at 50, that was my choice. choice. It wasn't his choice, but he permitted it. He allowed it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> So I can't say that. Well, no, it was just it was just their time. It was just Pastor. Speak to those parents who 
their child committed suicide and they have this sense of, of, of it's my fault because yeah. maybe, you know, I, I should have seen, I should have done this differently. I should have to speak to them. Right. I, and I'm asking that because I, I, I recently had a conversation with a woman, her son committed suicide three years ago mm-hmm. and she called me and, and I didn't know this woman. She just seen me on Facebook and said she, she just felt led to call me this, that, and the other. And she talked to me and said, I have a sense of guilt because of my son's suicide. Talk to those parents and, and yeah. get, what, how do they deal with that? Yeah. So I can't, I can't use any names. You know this, uh-huh. but a, a young lady that was very close to me committed suicide back a few years ago <clears throat> and I went to the hospital uh, when I got to the hospital uh, she was still hooked up to uh, to tubes and whatever they have you know the the devices that they have at the hospital and stuff she was still hooked up she had not I guess technically died mm-hmm. you know uh, her mother was there and her mother came up to me and asked me a question. She said, why did God do this to me? She said, why did God do this to me? That's my baby. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, baby, let me tell you something. Uh, you're not asking the right question because God did not do this to you. God simply allowed your daughter to make a choice, mm-hmm. okay? And so there's no need of you saying that it's my fault because you didn't make the choice. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You didn't make the choice. As unfortunate as it is, and let me tell you something, suicide is always very, very unfortunate. As a matter of fact, we're getting ready to start working here at our church to put a group together because of something that I learned in that particular class, they said the second leading cause of death for young people 18 to 25 is suicide. Second leading cause of death. And I asked the lady that was facilitating the class, I said, well, if that's the second leading cause, what is the number one leading cause of death for young people in that age group? She said, well, it's actually uh, automobile accidents, but what we have discovered is what we thought at first was just an automobile accident. We're discovering that it was really suicide. Uh, I did a funeral last year for a young man uh, down in Seminole, white young man. I used to work at Tinker with his grandmother. She called me and said, uh, my grandson was killed last night. <clears throat> and I want to know if you'll come to Seminole and meet with my daughter and plan his funeral and then do his funeral. So I said, absolutely, you know. Uh, she and I were close. She's been very supportive of me down through the year. Drove to Seminole and I met her daughter sitting in the, in the funeral hall in Seminole, Oklahoma. She takes out her phone and she showed me the pictures. She said, Mike, when they called me last night and told me my son had died in a car accident. They told me to come to the scene. Police officers and stuff were still there. So she said, I went to the scene and I began to take pictures. Mm. And she said, one of the officers said to me, 
we don't know that this was just an accident. You know, she said, because what it showed is the young man was apparently driving down the street, but there were no skid marks, there were no uh, swerve marks. It looked like he just ran off the highway and into a tree. And so they told her, we're not saying that it's suicide, but we're not saying that it's not. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. She told me the reason why she was troubled is because he came to her house earlier that night. He came to her house about six o'clock and she said he hugged her, hugged her real tight. And he said to her, mama, I gotta go, but everything will be all right. And she said, she said she was, she was moved by that. She was affected by that. You know, a parent know their child. Yeah, yeah. You know, something, she knew something was going on. So she said he went on and left, but she could not stop thinking about that because it was as though he had told her something even though he didn't utter the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so she was thinking about that. And it did not really make sense to her until she got that phone call at almost midnight and they told her that he had died in 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 an automobile accident. And then she replayed that and understood that he was telling her something even without saying it. She asked me to do his his uh, celebration of life. I told her I would absolutely do that. And I asked her to get up and speak before I spoke at his celebration of life. <clears throat> and she said, <clears throat> one, and I don't even remember saying this, but this is how the Lord worked. Yeah. She said that what I told her was, was, baby, don't become so overcome with grief that you can't notice the signs. Mm. Anytime God is doing something, there's always signs. <laughs> there's signs. But you got to pay attention to the signs just like you do when you're driving. You have uh-huh. to pay attention to the signs. Uh-huh. You understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And so... In this journey, this journey that we all call life, you got to pay attention to the signs. You got to pay attention to the signs because the signs are there. So, Pastor, so let's 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 start transitioning to a high place, okay. right? Okay. Because we also one of the things that we also have talked about is 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 the power of grief in our lives to really. Um, glorify God. Mm-hmm. You, you, you even you used the term one time from grief to glory. I remember yeah. that we was talking yeah. about that. Yeah. So so so, how can one, when we start thinking about the grief we are experiencing and the place we are mentally and emotionally, but we understand that God is not trying to destroy us or hurt us, that that those of us who believe in him, right. he's working everything yeah, for, for our, our good. good. Yeah. And that means the most tragic of circumstances, right? right? Really so, so tell me, what, what tool or what process would you share with a person that is in grief right now to help them recognize the road to that glory that grief is going to be. Yeah. So so what you it goes to me back to perception 
you know, uh, what I have noticed in myself and what I've noticed in other people is that we somehow have this preconceived idea that in grief, we're supposed to act sad, we're supposed to look sad, uh, and we're supposed to be sad, which is not necessarily true. Listen, if God, if the Bible is true, and we know that it is, Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said God is, is not only the Father of Jesus Christ, but he is the God of all comfort. And he comforts us. That's not time specific. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we will be able to comfort others with the same comfort that we have received from him. Now, what that tells me is that two things, that God does not comfort me just so that I'll be comfortable. Okay? He comforts me so that I will be able to be a comforter to other people, right? He, he, he got something bigger in mind. He got something yeah. better in mind than, than what I can see. Uh, At the time, I don't understand it because I'm in pain. I'm hurting. Pain. You know, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm mad. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I'm in denial. You know, but God is doing something else. And But what we have to understand is that he starts comforting us at the very moment that that loss occurred. Ah. He starts comforting us then. And that, that whole word, that whole, that whole term, when you talk about the word comfort, uh, in, the, in, in, in the Greek, we know that that word is actually uh, parakletos, which is the same word that Jesus used back in John's Gospel, chapter 16, for the Holy Spirit. It's the same word. So what, what he meant, <clears throat> Jesus was promising in John that I'm going to send somebody that's going to stand beside you and walk with you. Wow. Okay. And so what Paul is saying over in Corinthians is that when grief occurs, when a loss occurs, when trouble and when situations come that is just absolutely devastating, that he is going, because he's the God of all comfort, he's going to send his spirit to stand right beside you and to immediately begin to help you to get to that point that he wants you to be so that you won't just be comfortable, but you will be a comforter. Wow. You know, you, you become a comforter. He, he, he allows us. And in order to get to that point, you got to have some pain. Wow. You know, th there has to be some pain involved. Nobody gets out of this life pain-free. Nobody. Nobody gets out of this life. We all have some pain. We don't all have the same pain, but we're going to all have some pain before we get out of here. But he uses that to help us so that, and sometimes we we read right past that, he said he does this so that we will be able to comfort others with the same comfort wow. that we, we received receive from him. So when you start talking about that, I literally start envisioning, when you start talking about someone who at that moment, they're grieving, that immediately 
the comforter, the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. is right there with him. I like could literally visualize yeah. uh, 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 that picture of immediately when I'm in that distress that I've got this helper right next to me right then. Right, right. Even though I may not feel him and see him, right. he's right he's there. there. He's there. And he's, he's immediately starting his work to, ah. to show you up to get you from the pain that you're in, uh, he's giving you the comfort so that you will start to become a competitor to others based upon the same comfort that he gave you. And in that moment, I didn't always know the comfort that he was giving me at the time that he was giving it to me. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, when I, when I got to uh, Southwest Integris, whatever it is, on uh -huh. 44th, when my, my second daughter had died, uh -huh. <clears throat> it was afternoon, kind of like this afternoon, uh, and the last thing that I expected to see and hear was I walked, I caught the elevator, went upstairs to the fourth floor, got off the elevator, and the first thing that I saw was my twins were breaking down. They were like on the floor crying, you know. Uh -huh. And I immediately knew that something bad had happened. Yeah. You know, that was their big sister, you yeah. know. And after their mother died. She stepped yeah, in. Yeah, she stepped in. Yeah. Now all of a sudden she's gone. And they are totally, they are totally affected. And that totally affected me. And so immediately, and I'm, I'm just trying to be as transparent as I can. I, I asked the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? This is my second daughter that have died. Okay. Uh, my wife just died three years ago. What, what are you doing? You know, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. But what I did not understand is in that pain, he was already giving me some comfort so that I would be able to not only get through it, but he was giving me some comfort so that at some point I would be able to help somebody else who was uh, who was in a grief-stricken condition with the same comfort, not 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 something else, with the same comfort that I have received from him. Let me ask you a question. So, those people who um, um, say feel like they have I don't know that you ever really get over yeah. the, the passing of death. You right. you you learn to live with it. it uh, I guess, for lack of a yeah. better way of yeah. saying it, but but when you have those moments where you struggle with that death, when you think about that person and you feel that pain um, that particular time that day, is that an indication that you have not truly healed from that or is that no. just natural because I you're think human it's natural i think it's natural because because you're human i've told you the story before but if you'll allow me i'd like to repeat yeah. it now so <clears throat> when my first daughter died i was 27 years old at the time she died I was at the University of Missouri at Rolla, in Rolla, Missouri. My job had sent me there, and I was up there. When I got the news uh, that she was sick in the hospital, 
I got in my car at midnight and drove all night to get back to Oklahoma City, went straight to Children's Hospital, only to be told by the doctors, Mr. Woodbury, I'm sorry, we did all we could, which let me know that it wasn't going to be a good good situation, you know. Uh, I I was completely devastated, and I was feeling such a range of emotions that I didn't even really know how to label what I was feeling at the time. I was I was so overcome, I told somebody that was there, I said, take me home, take me to my house. Uh, I, I wanted to just get out of there, wasn't nothing I could do. I said, take me home. I got to my house, uh, we were at that time living in Midwest City, got to my house, I'm sitting in there, and the late Dr. D. Witt Rowland, who was my pastor at that time, came and knocked on the door. So he said, Mike, <clears throat> I wanted to come and talk to you. I said, okay. He said, let's go outside and talk because I don't want to upset your wife, you know. So he said, let's me and you go outside and talk. I said, okay. We went outside. The first thing he said to me is he said, Mike, are you angry? And I said, yeah, I'm angry. So he said, uh, with whom are you angry? I said, uh, I'm angry at God. And he said, you're angry at God? I said, yeah, I'm angry at God. I said, I know I shouldn't say that, but I'm being honest. I'm angry with God. And so <clears throat> he said, why do you feel like you shouldn't say that? I said, because he's God. And I shouldn't be saying that I'm angry at him. He said, let me tell you something, son. If God is not big enough to deal with your anger, Mm. he's not big enough to be your God. Mm. And so that changed my perspective. Mm. That changed my perspective. He said, but I want you to tell me, why are you angry at God? I said, listen, I know parents at that particular time who had given kids away. I knew parents who had had left kids in dumpsters, Mm -hmm. you know, and we did everything possible to keep our daughter, mm-hmm. and yet she died. Mm. I said, we would have spent any amount of money. We would have spent money that we hadn't even earned yet right? just to keep our daughter. But we didn't get that privilege. He took our daughter. And so I'm angry. Yeah. I'm angry at him for that. You know, uh, part of my anger was because I didn't understand. Right. I didn't understand. And what I learned at that particular time and through that experience, I learned a, a, a vital lesson that has helped me ever since. I learned that it's okay to ask God questions without questioning him. Ah. I can ask him a question, God, what, what are you doing? I don't, I don't get this, I don't understand. It's not okay for me to say, what right did you have to do that? Gotcha. Yeah, I, I can't question what he does because he's sovereign. Uh, but I can't ask him a question. Uh, I can say, God, listen, listen, I need some help. I need you to help me to understand what sense this makes. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Because uh-huh. I'm not getting it. Uh-huh. So, so, Pastor, and you and I talk about this all the time. Why do you think if God is a God of comfort, grace, and mercy, does he not many times give us answers to the question? Yeah. Because sometimes, sometimes when we 
And I'm just using, I'm using this from a strictly human standpoint. Uh Sometimes when we ask questions, we really think that we already have the answer. answer. And we really don't. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes when you go back and you look at the dialogues that Jesus had, sometimes when they asked Jesus questions, they were not desirous of the answer that he gave them because that's not even why they asked Asked the question. question. And so sometimes when we ask questions, you know, it's like the way I think about it in my own mind is that when my kids were smaller, when they were growing up, sometimes they would ask me a question and I would just sit there and look at them. Wouldn't, Wouldn't respond, I wouldn't answer. I would just sit there and look at them. Why would you do that? to make them think about what they just asked me and to make them delve deeper into it. You understand what I'm saying? To maybe understand the answer that I was about to give them. You know, wow. you know, I, you, know <clears throat> you need to think about what you just asked me. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so then you can, you can understand what I'm fixing to tell you, you know? Wow. And so, it's a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing journey. I told you uh, years ago, years ago when uh, uh, Dr. George Young was still a chaplain at the hospital, uh-huh. I went to a, a seminar that he was doing, and he referred to a book. The book is entitled uh, "Grief: A Gift That Nobody Wants." Whoa. Okay. So I was telling him, I was so, I was so moved by that. <clears throat> I was telling him after the session was over, I said, uh, Dr. George, I said, man, I'm, you know, that, that says so many things. So he said, well, okay, here. And he handed me the book. He gave me the book. And I took it home and I began reading. <clears throat> and it actually starts out <clears throat> by a condition that some people suffer from. I don't know the name of it uh, medically, but some people have this illness that they can cut themselves, but they don't immediately feel the pain. Mm. And so sometimes they get cut and don't even know they're cut, Uh you know. And that's a gift that nobody wants. Uh You understand what I'm saying? Uh That's a gift that nobody Uh wants. They don't want want to have to, and it's the same thing with this whole issue of, of grief. No, nobody really wants that. Nobody wants to suffer. Right. Nobody wants to experience that. But but somebody has to have that. Wow. You understand? Somebody has to have that for the greater good. You know, for somebody else to be uh, uh, to be comforted through them, through you. Pastor, as we kind of come to a close here, um, there's some there's young people who, of course, you know, because they haven't lived life, they're ex- they've experienced a loss of a parent. I, I've, I've been dealing with two young brothers who have um, uh, 13 and 16 lost their father uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago, and 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 that's man and that loss that grief is manifesting itself in negative behavior, right? Because because they have not and the mother told me. She said, I've been trying to find grief counseling, a good grief counselor, and she wanted to find a black man, and I understood all of that and so forth and so on. But 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 their grief 
that has been undealt with is causing some bad behavior. So what avenue, if I'm a parent, Mm -hmm. and I know that's happening, Mm -hmm. what avenue may I consider taking? And and why does that even happen with young people? And I'm just having yeah. young people. I, I've, I've yeah. known older people that, that self-destructive yeah. behavior dealing with grief. Yeah, and I, I, I believe this, that one of the most difficult aspects of grief, as far as I'm concerned, is what we call unresolved grief. Uh, it's, it's grief that has just been sitting there, you know, manifesting itself. And it usually manifests itself into bad behavior, you know. It's unresolved grief. It's grief that have not been uh, checked or have not been attended to, Uh you know. And so the first thing that you got to do is you got to understand, uh, and I think sometimes that we as adults don't pay enough attention. You got to pay attention to the behavior that they're exhibiting. And then you've got to, uh, direct them to someone who can can put them on a different path behaviorally, oh. so that they don't they 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 won't just emit bad behavior. Oh. It's okay to emit behavior, behavior, right? But but it doesn't always have to be bad or harmful or damaging behavior, oh. you know. Because you may decide I'm gonna start running, right? I'm gonna start lifting weights, right? 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 Ah. Right? right. Ah. Yeah, redirect. Gonna, yeah, redirect. Ah, that's good. Yeah, and so and so it's 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 okay. You're gonna have you're gonna have some changes. It's gonna things are gonna happen, uh-huh. but they doesn't it doesn't have to be bad things, uh-huh. you know. And and so it is our job, I believe, as adults, as parents, to pay attention. You know, it's our job to pay attention when we notice bad behavior. Then we have to we we have to start understanding well what's going on here, you know what is the reason for this bad behavior, you know and and I don't believe bad behavior necessarily is always just a reason to punish, you know, you know sometimes you just got to it's it's telling you something. She told me that you know one of them has started smoking weed, right? And um, she actually told me she said you know Mr. Davis. Um, I, I hadn't really got on him for smoking weed because I understood what he was trying to do right. was cope and manage. Do you think I'm wrong for that? And I said, sister, first of all, because I'm not in your situation, I'm not qualified to tell you whether you're right, right. or wrong. Right, right. Right? Because right. all, I, all I would be doing is giving you an opinion. That's right. That's you understand right. what right. I said? But... I can totally understand as a parent because you don't have any idea what to do. You thinking, okay, well, I don't see how this weed may, it it seems to be helping him. Now you may not even be looking at what the re what that, what the byproduct of that is for later. You just looking at, Oh, it's helping him right now. And so when she told me that, and I, and I was sharing that with her, she said, well, she said, man, she said, she said Mr. Davis, I, I, I feel, I feel, I feel better about that, but I know that my son, he has to, and she says, use one of my words, embrace the pain. Mm-hmm. I want us to close this podcast mm-hmm. 
with you sharing the importance of all of us in our lives embracing the pain, not yeah. running from it, but yeah. understanding yeah. that it's a catalyst to purpose right. and power. Right, right. And I think that's very important. <clears throat> and when you said that, I think about a literal embrace. You know, <clears throat> when you embrace, when you embrace something, put your arms around. you put your arms around it, uh -huh. and you don't shun it, you don't push, push it away, it. Uh -huh. but you, you bring it in closer, closer uh -huh. to you, you know, bring it in closer because it's, it's some work being done. Ah. I might not understand it. I might not, at the time, fully appreciate, but it's some work it's being work done. being done. Okay, and so I need to bring it in. I need to bring it in a little bit closer. You know, you know. See, sometimes uh, we miss the lesson. I believe we miss the lesson because we're busy trying to get rid of grief. Woo! Okay, we, we, we're my, so busy. My. We're so busy trying to get rid of it when it may be there for. A, I believe. For a good purpose. My, my, my. You know, it's it's not it's not to kill us. It's not to destroy us. And we're so busy trying to get rid of it that we don't learn the lesson. Stop right there, Pastor. Yeah. Let me tell you. I've got to, guys, we're going to end it here. He said something I want you to chew on, that it's going to be hard, but I think if you chew on it, you will win. Don't try to get rid of the grief. Fall into it. Because that grief, will work for your glory, for your power. God is not going to allow you to experience anything that he cannot get glory from. Right, right. So I, I pray that you guys have heard something today that just makes you think, yeah. just chew that you, yeah. and, and it may take a while for you to really get this. Yeah. But I promise you, if you just chew on it, yeah, yeah, that the day will come. Listen, you may never get over the loss of whatever it is. Right. But here's what I can promise you. God, he, Pastor Woodbury yeah. said in the very beginning, he has given us the grace That's right. to deal with everything That's right. that comes in our life. As always, my friends, serve, care, and love. So I am sitting here with my good friend, Tamara Washington. We're actually in Panera Bread, my first time ever doing a podcast out in public. Um, wanted to try something different. Wanted to see how it sound and uh, get a different feel for this. Tam, thank you for coming out on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we decided to do this over because when you start telling me more of your story, I start thinking about how your story can really inspire a lot of women. Um, and the one thing, uh, when we got done talking, I asked you, I said, do you share this story with people? And you said, yeah, I'm now at a place where I want to share the story. Let me ask you this before we get going. Why were you, why did you not ever want to share the story? Were you shamed? Were you embarrassed? I mean, what made you finally get to the place where you want to share that? Were you okay sharing the story? So there are a lot of emotions that come along with that, Steve. You know, there are there's some embarrassment. People don't accept you. Um, something that I've, I've lived with all my life. Um, afraid of being judged. Um, just wasn't ready to be that transparent because I did not know how it would be perceived 
and really what effect it would have on me and my own personal well-being once I decided to share that story. And you know, but it's funny to hear you say this because the person I've always known has been this super confident woman that dressed beautiful every smelled good every day so i've never ever thought but it's interesting that's the reason why you can't judge a book by its cover we always look at people and think oh they look like they just got it together they but we don't know what's in their head and i do have it together let's not (laughs) second right 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 no right 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 but to be perfectly honest you never know what a person's going through a lot of people suffer in silence yeah that's where that comes from. We suffer in our own silence. Yeah. And so I've never said anything. I've never lived that way. But I've always said, thank God I don't look like what I've been through. Uh. Which is true. Mm. You know, a lot of people say that as a, you know, that's just a pun or a cliche. Thank God I don't look like what I've been through. But there's a lot of meaning behind that. Mm-hmm. And I carry that with me because thank God I don't. Nobody could ever look at me and tell that I have experienced some of the things that I've experienced. Well, so, so share, tell, tell the folks kind of where you, your story. I see you now post a lot. You're doing um, CrossFit. C- CrossFit and all of that. And, and talk, tell the people about the weight loss and the battles. Go ahead and talk a little bit. So even with me going to CrossFit, a lot of people are still very judgmental because they think, okay, you go to CrossFit and you go as much as you do. So why do you still look like that? I got you. Uh But this is me. Uh I'm I'm going so that I can be healthy. So I'm healthier than a lot of people that are smaller than Mm -hmm. I am. Mm -hmm. I live a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I'm just not a little bitty person. I embrace that today. You know what I'm saying? And so I look better with my clothes off than some of them that are very small. Mm -hmm. In any event, my story starts years, years ago. I've always been a big girl. Um, As I grew older, I grew larger. And so I was at 400 pounds or a little more when I was in education. So, you know, people are rude. They're cruel. I lost a lot of friends, or people that I thought were friends, but people tend to use you. You know, they only want from you what they can get from you, but they're never there for you. So there were a lot of people I couldn't ride in their cars. They didn't invite me to their homes because they didn't want me sitting on their furniture because I was so heavy. Um, They didn't want to be seen with me because I was so heavy and the attention that would come with it was negative attention. So they didn't want that attention. They didn't want to be associated or affiliated with me out in public. I recall when I was in high school, I wasn't that large, but I was a larger girl. I remember I played basketball and I was good at it. Uh, Arnelia Spears was my coach. And so I played junior varsity and I played varsity. And I can remember some of the varsity girls because at that, at that time we played half court. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the guards and the forwards, I was a guard. I remember some of the, the guards that were seniors and juniors saying they didn't want my uniform number to be close to theirs because that would signify that they were as large as I am. So just there's a lot of things that come along with that, but I, I, I pushed through it. So, so, so stop, let's go back. So, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand how do you uh, keep from going into a dark place mentally knowing that? 
I mean, what, I mean, I mean, and, and not, and maybe, and you probably did go into the dark places from time to time, but you obviously didn't stay there. Never so stayed. How, so, so how did you um, keep from staying in the dark place? So it had a lot to do with how I was raised. My dad had a, a disability that was obvious. He had polio. And so one of his legs was smaller and shorter than the other leg, and he had to wear a built-up shoe. And so all through his life, he got criticized and ridiculed and made fun of and talked about, and he would never be anything. He was a little crippled boy. And so I was, my dad raised me to not focus on what other people saw as limitations, but to build on those things and turn those things into strengths. And so he wouldn't allow me to feel sorry for myself. So he was a living example. And so everything was, I was like, if my daddy can do it, I can do it. So he never allowed me to stay in a dark place for any amount of time. Never. He encouraged me. My mom encouraged me. They put me in things to help build my self-esteem. I did modeling. I did little pageants. I did everything. As much as my little little skinny friends did, uh, I did. Uh, so your parents being very intentional mm -hmm. to make sure you knew hey baby you still special you ain't no different than them so so that would be what you would say to a parent now who maybe um, have have a child who um, uh, kids may make fun of and bully uh, they may look different and so forth is to keep them engaged keep them engaged and like you said be intentional about everything that you do with them and that you encourage them to do you have to be intentional I, I'm intentional with my kids everything that I do I'm still intentional with myself mm -hmm. I don't allow people to put limits on me um, I'm intimidated by some things and it may take me a little longer to get started than it should, um, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That's just like with my CrossFit. I was the oldest, one, one of the oldest, but I was dang sure the biggest. Even though I'm not at that 400 pounds, because I had the gastric bypass, and I lost 200 of that. And so I still battle because about 60 pounds still wants to come and play with me, you know. But we play. And I go on and I work out. So let me ask you, so, this, so let's go back a little ways when I asked you to do the video. So I'm glad you brought that up because I detected in your voice some hesitancy when I asked you to do the video and mm -hmm. then you sent it to me. And then I responded back kind of like, you know, I didn't mean to. I thought about it after in text because I was like, no, nah, we need to do that again. You remember that? Yeah, but I wasn't offended by that. Okay, good. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. I wasn't offended because I struggled with it myself. Gotcha. It, it wasn't good for me. You ought to, you should have seen how many times I did, did that. <laughs> like, for real. I got you. you should, so I struggled with that. Gotcha. Myself. Wasn't anything you said. I got you. No, by no means. That was me. And then you, you were like, redo it. I redid it. I did it about 50 times. Seriously. Wow. I just couldn't get it together. Uh -huh. There were probably some takes that were better than the others, but they were all bad to me. I got you. So I'm like, just send one so uh -huh. he'll see you doing it. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? But that was, I, I just, that and, was something I struggled with. And see, and that's just it. See, I had no clue 
that because again, I'm thinking all I know was this confident woman. So 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 then you know I'm a pretty straightforward dude. So I didn't with you, I didn't even put on any filters no, to say nothing. And I just went ahead because I thought, oh, damn, she, she ain't struggling but with nothing. But you never have. And that's always what I've admired about you. I know we've bumped heads because yeah, yeah. you bullheaded yeah, and I'm yeah, bullheaded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're passionate about what you do, yeah. how you feel. I'm passionate about what I yeah. do and how I feel. I come across to some people as being, you know, not so nice, but I'm passionate about what I do. I don't mean any harm by it, and sometimes I'm blunt. My filter doesn't always work. I'm Mine not either. always correcting what I say, but my my intentions are always pure. Um, but no, I wasn't bothered by that at all because you told me what I already knew. Mm. It was not right. And you know, um, that's really what now at 51, um, what I say to myself now because I used to feel really bad because as much as I tried to suppress the passion or not be so straightforward with people because it's naturally who I am it didn't work well for me mm -hmm. and so I was kept trying to adjust who I really was because it, many people just can't handle can. people who are really straightforward they now they'll say oh I want the truth well when I give it to you you ain't mm -mm. you can't you get mad and stuff like that so it's interesting that you say that about the intent because what now at 51 I say God you know the intent you know my heart I said God thank I'm so glad you know my heart because you're the one that will judge me and hold me accountable based on the intent of my heart right so but let me ask you this so um you're going to be speaking to young women in a couple of weeks at our conference. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that the Surgeon General has said right now in America, there's a mental health crisis with our young people, after COVID in particular, yes. um, suicide attempts are up, suicides are up, um, and, they, and they equate a lot of that to social media mm -hmm. and how the body shaming on Instagram mm -hmm. and how girls will look at the pictures on Instagram and, and start starving themselves and doing all kind of going into depression and all kind of stuff. Um, and we know on the 4th, November the 4th, you're going to have a room of about 150 high school girls from the age of from ninth grade to 12th grade, probably some who are big mm -hmm. right now. What's going? What What are you going? To, what's going to be your words to them that day? How are you going to um, present that? I'm real curious to hear because I first of all you're going. It's going to be dynamic um, because of your life experience. I can't wait for them to hear and see you. But what's your approach to that day? You know, Steve, I'm praying about it because what I want is the Lord to really take use me to really use me. It's something that you know I had. Um, I had years and years ago I had a vision that the Lord was going to give me a platform. I had no idea what it was, what I was going to talk about, what it was going to be about. I had no idea, but this is something that I've carried with me all of those years. So I, I so this is my platform. And so I'm ready and I'm ready for him to use me however he sees fit. And so I've been praying about it. I've been doing a lot of reading up on self-awareness. Um, 
And so, you know, self-esteem and kind of what does that mean? What does that look like? Because it's different for everybody. That's right. That's right. This is not a one-size-fits-all. That's right. That's right. It's not. So my definition may not be the next person's definition, but I want to be there to share my story and to encourage someone who may be struggling with, maybe not what I'm struggling with, but something very, they may be suffering in silence and nobody knows. They go to their, they go home and go to their room Mm. at night and they, they suffer and nobody knows. And, and, and my prayer is that that suffering that they're doing won't at some point overtake them. them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I told you one of the things I believe in is that our pain is the catalyst to our purpose that our pain leads us to our power that that pain is necessary right and you just said it your pain now has become your platform Mm -hmm. god knew when he created you when you was in the womb that he was gonna create a big bone woman yes that was gonna struggle early on yes that later on in life so that she could work with young women to get them young women to believe in themselves. Pain, process, prayer, power, purpose. Purpose, yes. And I, you know, I used to say, Lord, why me? I used to look at my friends, I'd be like, ooh, they cute, mm. they major red, they cheerleaders, they got these little old bitty dresses on. I wanna wear one of them. Right. The Lord said, that's not for you. That's not what I have for you. And I'm, I, all these years, I'm like, well, what is it that you have for me? What is it? Because I still can't do all that. I can't wear the little bitty clothes with the, I can't, I want to wear that. The Lord said, that's not for you. That's not what I have for you. You know what I've always noticed about you? And, and, and this is why I think you and I have stayed connected throughout the years is, and, and it's because of what you've been through. The empathy, when I've watched you work with kids, you're able to empathize with them, which is when we was working with alternative kids and, and, and you know, many of these kids come from some of the worst backgrounds, really toxic stress environments. So they're going through a lot. I've watched you go above and beyond in serving and making sure they had. I remember, you know, you going to kids' house, literally mm-hmm. leaving the school, cause somebody, I remember that stuff, mm-hmm. right? And uh, do you remember when we was doing the Christmas drop-offs? Remember that one Christmas and we was taken to going and them, we went to them one folks' house and they were all, <laughs> the kids was, it was mattresses on the floor. Mm-hmm. And, and I even want to say, and it was wintertime, mm-hmm. I want to say there was not a door but a cover, a cover. over the door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I th- we, and I remember going, oh my God. Mm-hmm. You don't know what these young people are going through. You don't, Stephen. You know what? At that particular time, I thought I understood. But, you know, it's like God will direct, lead, guide, and direct your path to where he wants you to go. You just got to be obedient and follow. So when I got out of education, DHS was the last place I wanted to work. And I'm like, why did I put an application in to work for DHS? I don't want to do child welfare. I did not want to do it. But that's what—that's where I went, and that's what I started doing. I began—I I became an investigator for child welfare. 
after I had been there for a few years, then I understood why the Lord led me there. Because I didn't understand like I thought I did the struggles that our kids have and what we expect for them to do. How do you keep from bringing that home every day? Um, I'm not gonna necessarily say I keep from bringing it home, but as I do it, Steve, the Lord equips me mm. with the ability mm. to be able His grace. to deal gotcha. with yep. that. Yep. 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 The grace to do it, gotcha. Because I have worked as an investigator, I've done it for 17 years. So I, I, I've, I've supervised and I've worked as an investigator at a place called the Care Center. And that's a specialty unit where we do child death, where we do near death, where we do sexual abuse, where we do incest, where we do those cases that you see on yeah, TV that are high profile. Yeah, yeah. I've done that. I've done that. And so, and it's hard because we're, when we go to a death or a near death, we're first responders with law enforcement. We go there with the, the child abuse and neglect detectives or the homicide detectives. And so we're on the crime scene if there are children involved. So I've seen that. I've seen the dead bodies of kids that die at the hands, innocents, that yeah. die at the hands of a person who is responsible for caring for them. I've seen those things and had to sit and talk to those people that have perpetrated those crimes. So, what's your mindset when you're sitting across from someone who you know has done something to hurt a child like that? I mean, because um, you're a Christian woman that I, that I know about you. How are you able still to convey God's love? Just by how I communicate with them, and I'm just all, all, all while I'm talking to them, I'm saying, "Lord, help me." Help me. Lord, help me, because if I really say what I want to say, it wouldn't be nice. It wouldn't be. I'm just keeping it real, because of what they've done or allowed to happen to these kids. Um, but you know, I, I, I try to be non-judgmental. And, 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 and treat them with as much dignity as I can as I, as I talk to them. So, and now, so do you think your ability to do that goes back to you being able to relate going all the way back to the childhood trauma where people treated you the way, so you, so you really have taken that again, that pain, and processed it into something that's helping you really be yes. good at what you do. Because if you talk, to, like if you really sit down and talk to those people and they feel that you're genuine, a lot of them, I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them will open up uh, to you. And you will start to learn where they've come from and the struggles that they've had. Not that it makes what they've done better or excusable, but you learn more about them and, 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 and the fact that they didn't get help for their childhood trauma. And so this is what it's led to. That's why, Tam, this conference is so important. Um, and I don't know that all of the speakers, and I'm gonna share this with you guys, all of our presenters, because what you guys are doing with these young people, many of these young people will never go to a conference in their life after this one. Do you hear me? Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important that we, see, we have to expose our young people to different things Many of our young people will never have not been to a conference like this. 
Therefore, they're not having people talk to them about some of the, the side, the suffering in silence, those self-esteem things. Because when you go to school, what I found, many schools, they're not doing anything that addresses the social emotional needs no. and the trauma of kids. No, they're not. And it's and it's and it's strange to me because you think that'd be the very place that you say, you know what, we gotta make sure that we give these kids A, B, and C so that they can focus in school and whatnot. But when you're living in toxic stress like these kids are, and this is why this conference is so important to me, I said, we gotta find a way to get these kids some tools. And it was important for me to find people like you who have walked and some of their shoes can empathize, have a story to tell, but more importantly, willing to tell the stories. I meet a lot of people, adults, they have been through some stuff in their life, but they won't tell they nobody. They won't tell you. Mm -mm. They won't tell you. They will not tell you for fear that they may be judged and people will look they, people will look at them different. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Me neither. I could care less at this point, I, at, at, at age of 55. Mm -hmm. I could care less about what the next person thinks about me. They're not paying my bills and not really doing anything of any importance for me to help me get to the next level. What if a kid, and I think about this, like my son sitting here now, he's 21, and I tell him all the time, if you can figure this thing out faster than I did, Stevie, it's better for you, it's right? It's better for you. That, and that's really what my hope is with these young people that come to the conference, is what we're giving them, we won't be saying to them, listen, you ain't gotta go through what I went through. You ain't gotta suffer like I did. That's why you're here. We, we, we want you to figure this thing out quicker than, than I did. Don't, cause see, you're 55, I'm 51. I'll be honest, a lot of the stuff where I'm thinking now, I still thought 10 years ago. Real talk. See, I mean, that's that whole part of being a lifelong learner and the choice you have to make to be better and do different. You can make that choice at 20, 21, 25, 16, 17, 8, but you gotta. You might not be ready for it. And so when we do this one conference, we'll reach some, but there will be many that we won't because it may take another time. They're not ready to receive it. Why are they coming? Some may come because. Getting out of school. And they're not ready. But there will be something that will resonate in their spirit and it will play over and over and over again in their mind and they will be curious and so the the next time they'll be ready for it our job we're gonna plant that seed our job is to plant the seed that's it turn the soil the soil of their mind and we have to and 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 the rest would take i you absolutely that's, that's that it. seed and so you know they don't you know mine is a physical i mean it's a, a appearance uh -huh. you know that's my limitation i don't know what other folks may be struggling with you know but they you can't allow it to stop you from doing those things that you that you can do i've been in pageants i've modeled in the state of Oklahoma, I've modeled in Texas. I was supposed to go to New York, but I didn't make it. So I've modeled, um, I've been in stage plays, you know, I was a leading character in one of these stage plays. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Yes, I've played basketball. You know, here I am, and I was 51, 52 when I decided I was gonna do CrossFit. Wow. Now watch me with my old big self wow. trying to do CrossFit, but I do it. 
you know, I do it. And so you don't allow people to put limits on you. You don't you don't do that. So let me ask you this, and as we kind of close this, so do you think as you uh, prepare your presentation that you will show them? I have pictures. A process. Ah, I that's have gonna pictures. be powerful. I that's going to be pictures. a powerful visual. And you took, oh, man. Because when I lost all of my weight, when I was the smallest, people didn't even know who I was. They would walk right past me. I'm the same person at 200 pounds, and I looked smaller than 200 pounds because of my body structure. Uh-huh. I'm the same person that I was at 400 pounds. Um. I'm, I'm hurt. They would walk right past me. And then everybody wanted to be my friend, uh. Steve. Everybody. I, you, I, oh, hey, and and keep it pushing, you know. And then I would have people say, "Oh, you have a beautiful face." Well, what's wrong with my body? Mm. I heard people say stuff like that all the time. Your face is so pretty. I heard people say stuff like that. Why can't I just be a pretty girl? Why does it just have to be my face? Wow. So how do you? Um, How do you keep from holding, from being bitter towards people who you know mistreated you like that? Because I look at where I am in my life and where they are in their life. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they had it, they had it together. Uh Let them tell it. Uh And I'm so much better off than they are. Uh That's good, T. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, you, I, I like to allow at the end for the people we talk to to just kind of have the last word or leave a strong statement. Or, um, what would you end? What would you leave us with today? Um, you know what, Steve? I would I would say that um, my concern for our young people today go far beyond goes far beyond the concerns that I have for myself and those things that I've dealt with in my life because they they are exposed to so many more things. I would encourage them, the parents, the aunties, the uncles, the mentors, the caregivers, the guardians, anybody who is listening to this, I would encourage them to encourage the young people to come to this, to just listen and be open to receive whatever it is that God would have them to receive at that particular time. Understand that they don't have to suffer in silence. We all have something. I don't know what you got going on. You don't know what I have going on, but you know there's something. Nobody is perfect. And so you turn those imperfections, those things that people have labeled as imperfections, you turn those into strengths and you use those to build the person who you wish to become, who you choose to become. Don't allow people to put limits on you. Tam, you have um, a little 28 minutes here. Um, you've inspired me. Um, I'm looking forward to these young women and women who may be listening to this, who are struggling with body image who are struggling at 30 and 40 years old being concerned about what other people think. I know those women mm-hmm. who, who who get dressed every day and, and put makeup on for other people. For other people. It ain't for them. Mm-mm. It's for uh, I know people who want, I know women who won't go to the store. I'm not just run to 7-Eleven no. without putting on a full face. I know those too. I know women that won't go to bed and allow their man to Shut see up. them without putting on a full face. 
I will wipe these eyebrows off and you'll see the remnants of what I have left and it matters not to me. How about that? How about, I, it, it, I don't care. Because you don't make me who I am. This, th These eyebrows that I drew on, this hair that I have sewn in my head, it doesn't make me who I am. But I like it because it makes me look good. Hey, listen, listen. You guys, um, you guys need to come. Uh, make sure your child, your daughter, is registered at makingamend.org or believeeek.biz for the conference on November the 4th. But listen, we have a resurgence Saturday on that 5th where the community, we're going to be doing some, um, uh, watching a film called Resiliency Documentary that's powerful. But you may want to come and just meet Miss T here. Because I would encourage any woman that's struggling with body image or anything, uh, you'll have time that day after the after that film, you'll have time to just go sit with Miss T here, Tamara, and have conversation and just share. I mean, because sometimes you just need that person who don't even know you, who you can just straight up share with, that you can shed tears with. Um, and, and Tamara's that type of person. So I encourage you guys to come out. Tamara, thank you so much. Absolutely. For giving this time here with me and my son and, and, and speaking honestly and openly. That means a lot to me. My pleasure. Absolutely. Have a good day. All right.